0: Jesus was a master teacher, was he not? I mean, he, he knew how to take uh, the, the most complex theological doctrines and really put the cookies on the bottom shelf, so to speak, so that we could all understand, and he made it very simple to understand. And he also loved the shock effect. Did you notice that today when you looked at and when you heard the parables of Jesus? Every single one of those stories, it, there's a little bit of a shock effect. The end isn't exactly what you would expect. Isn't that true? In fact, it's, it's kind of oxymoronic when you think about it. You know what an oxymoron is, right? In fact, um, an oxymoron, I looked it up and in the dictionary. It said it's a figure of speech in which apparently contradictory terms appear in conjunction. So you, when you say something and you have different terms that they, they go together, but they don't. They, they're contradictory. Uh, I can think of a couple examples of like uh, jumbo shrimp. Right? You've heard that before, right? What's jumbo mean? Large. It's big. And shrimp means it's small. But So it's a big, small thing, right? And so it doesn't really make a, a whole lot of sense. I remember when I was a kid, there was a biker gang. And uh, their name was an oxymoron. You can probably guess which, which uh, gang I'm talking about. Hell's Angels, right? Hell's Angels. I'm sorry, but there, there aren't too many angels where they're talking about, right? <laughs> so when you think of... Uh, uh, of, of that or, or here's another example and this is when you hear the, 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 the teens say a lot they'll, they'll refer to something as being pretty ugly think about that for a second pretty ugly it doesn't make any sense you're either pretty or you're ugly right and uh or i and i remember saying that we using this one with my brothers and whenever my parents would order pizza but we talk about who got like the larger half but think about it larger half if it's half it's not larger right I mean, if one side is smaller, then what does that mean about the other side? It's just the way it is. And I could go on and on and give you several examples. I I could talk about rap music. That's not... Rap music? That doesn't make any sense. Or a Spartan victory, right, Chad? Those words just don't belong together, right? And, uh, uh... I'm sorry. And, uh... But it's just, it's, it's true. It's, it's what an oxymoron really is about. But we see, we see them in Jesus' parables. We, we, for example, the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. That in itself, just the name of that, was an oxymoron in those days. The, the Samaritans were, were the, blunt end of, uh, the blunt end of every joke, right? They would make fun of them. A, a good Samaritan? It didn't make any sense, right? That was just the way, the way they looked at it. Um... Uh, the the punchline of the jokes would be them, and Jesus turn them into the hero of the story. Wow, something very different than what you would expect. And Jesus loved to do that—that that surprise, uh, the surprise effect. Uh, another example that we, we see is the, the parable of the mustard seed. Here, it's such a, a such a small thing. It's such a small thing, but it turns into something great. It turns into the, this huge tree. There's actually two oxymorons even in that story because what did you have to do to the mustard seed in order for it to turn into that tree? You have, to bury it. you have to bury it. If you take that mustard seed and you and you put it in a pretty box or you take that mustard seed and you do anything else with it, it's going to continue to be a mustard seed. Only when you put it in the ground, which is usually what you do to dead people, right? Then it takes life and reproduces. Life. In the form of a tree. Isn't that an amazing analogy that Jesus uses of what salvation is really all about? What a beautiful, what a beautiful story. Or Zacchaeus, which I will forever picture little Mahaney whenever I hear the story of Zacchaeus again. That's etched in my mind forever. He did such a wonderful job. Uh, but with, with Zacchaeus as well. Um, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. That's the way I sang it when I was a kid. But he was the tax collector. Everyone was wanting to, to spend time with Jesus. He was out healing people. He was doing all these crazy... Everyone wanted just a few moments with Jesus. And who does he pick? He picks the tax collector. The nobody, right? And he picks him. And he saw something that the, the rest of them didn't see. Or even in the last one, the, uh, the prodigal son. And the prodigal son. I, I understand the points of, of what the Pharisees were saying. Like, oh, Wait a minute. Wouldn't justice mean that we throw a party for the one who stayed? Anyone else think that? Just think, hmm, why, did, why didn't he throw a party for, no, but God in his mercy uses this to show not just his justice, but his mercy, his compassion, his forgiveness. Aren't you glad that we have a God that is merciful and compassionate and forgiving? Amen. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for that. You know, it really should not surprise us that Jesus used these oxymoronic parables to teach us about Christianity, to teach us about the truth. Because Christianity itself is an oxymoron an oxymoron in a sense. Here's what 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 and 19 says about it. It says, for the message of the cross, it's talking about the message of the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid for your sins and mine. The message of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing. It's oxymoronic. It's not what you would expect. It's the exact opposite of what you would expect. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So in all of God's wisdom, he chose a route of salvation that would blow our wisdom away. And that's what Christianity is all about. In fact, in uh, verse uh, verse 16 of chapter 20 of Matthew, we see that the Christian ethic is also oxymoronic. In the word uh, uh, Jesus said, "So the last will be first, and the first last." For many are called, but few are chosen. In this world, if you want to be first, what do you think you have to do? You have to try. You have to strive to be first. Maybe get on uh, on top of the of the crowd and put other people down. Do whatever you have to do to climb your way up the ladder. That's the idea of being first, right? Jesus says if you want to be first try being last it's the exact opposite of what you think I remember going on a on a a backpacking trip and and our youth pastor had these these water bottles that were filters built right into the water bottles and he got us all together he explained how to use them and and uh, he said it's the exact opposite of what you would think and he said, if you, if you put the water in and you put the cap on, and it was a weird type of, of bottle, you could, if you tried to suck the water out of there, you're sucking it through this entire filter, and, uh, and you might get a drop or two, but it was very hard to suck, that, to suck the water through. He says, but you have to do the exact opposite. You actually blow in it. And if you blow in it, it creates pressure on the inside, and then it forces the water through. So if you knew that little trick, it was very easy to get good, clean water. But it was a riot watching all the teens. And you could tell who paid attention in the orientation meeting and who didn't pay attention because you had people walking around like, I just can't drink any water <laughs> because it suck so hard, right? And then you had other people, they would just blow right in there and it just would fall right into their mouths. And, and that's really what he's saying here in a sense. It, it, you have to do the opposite of what comes naturally. If you want to be first, then be last. In fact, uh, another way that uh, that it was it's put is found in chapter twenty-three, verse eleven and twelve. We read, "But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." That's what Christianity is all about. Isn't that oxymoronic? Isn't that the opposite of what comes naturally? So. Christianity is oxymoronic, the Christian ethic is, is oxymoronic, and even the gospel, the good news, is an oxymoron, the good news of eternal life. We read in Matthew 16, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You might be responding, wait a minute, Huh? What what did you just say, Jesus? Because remember, the cross became a symbol of Christianity later than this, right? We do understand that. Jesus was still talking. This was before he died on the cross. So take it from the perspective, what was a cross to the people who were listening to Jesus say that? It was a torturous execution device. Something intended to take you to the grave and to do it in a painful way. Everyone's wanting to follow Jesus, The crowds are following him. Everyone wants to follow Jesus. If you want to follow me, here's what you have to do. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So if you want eternal life, you have to follow Christ to the grave? Really? That isn't what people were expecting, is it? Well, the very next words that we find in Matthew 16, we read this. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with the angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Then he will re- reward them according to their works. There's only two options. Only two options. And every person has to make this choice at some point. You can invest everything you have, everything you've been given. You can invest this life into one of two things, no other options. You can invest it first in this life, this present life. Uh, Several weeks ago, I put a quote up on the screen by uh, George Clooney. Some of you you might remember the quote. I I put it up here again. This is what he said. I don't believe in heaven and hell. I don't know if I believe in God. All I know is that as an individual, I won't allow this life, the only thing I know to to exist, to be wasted. I think there are a lot of people in our world, maybe some in here, that's how we live our lives for this life. We can invest everything in this life. And you might have to ask yourself some questions, some hard questions like, why do I work so hard? Is it so I can have nicer things? Or am I investing in something beyond this life. Why do I work so hard? Is it so I can have more popularity, or, or whatever it might be, or are you investing in something <coughs> beyond? You can invest everything in this life, or I want to share another example of a different man who invested something in something more eternal. He invested in, his, in in eternity, and here's here's who I'm thinking of: Jim Elliot. Some of you probably heard of Jim Elliot. You might not know the story. He was one of the five missionaries that lost his life trying to reach the Alca Indians in Ecuador. He, he had been working with the Quichua Indians in Ecuador. It's a great group of people. It's, just, and it's actually a fun group of people to work with. I've had the, the, the privilege to work with Quichua Indians in, in Ecuador as well. And as he was working with them, they talked about this fierce tribe that lived in a part of Ecuador that, that was totally unreached. And they were guilty of, of cannibalism and just violence. And, and every so often, whenever there was an encounter between the people from the Alka tribe and, and anyone else in society, it usually ended up in, a, in violence and death. And Jim saw that as an opportunity to invest his life to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jim uh, got together with, uh, uh, he formed a team they uh, they flew a plane over the Alka territory. They dropped the gifts. They dropped flashlights. They dropped shirts, knives, cups, whatever they could do to build, start building a relationship. When they finally had an opportunity to land and meet with them, they started talking with them. They started building a relationship with them. And I, I don't know. I know many of you know the story, but there was somewhere a feud between two families in the tribe, and one family blamed them for something that wasn't true. And the next thing you know, the the tribe comes out, several men from the tribe come out, and they murdered Jim Elliot and four of his missionary friends. Murdered them. you know that's not the end of the story. Their wives went back. And by the time that the wives went back, they realized that it had been a lie, and they realized what they had done. And when they saw that their wives loved them in spite of what happened, in spite of what they had done to their husbands, that made a difference in their lives, and they came to Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the men, one of the murderers of Jim Elliott came to the United States and went on tour with Stephen Curtis Chapman to tell the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was bringing the gospel here. Isn't God amazing? I mean, when you think about that, isn't God amazing? You know, Jim Elliott wrote in his diary shortly before he died, I, I know you won't be able to see this, but this is a picture of, uh, of his journal And and he wrote this one line, so I'll put it up here. And he wrote this He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You know what he was talking about? He was talking about exactly what Jesus said when he said, Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's what he was talking about. He invested his life in eternity. And you know what? the end of the story, it says, For the Son of Man will come in in the glory of the Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. I guarantee you, he is being rewarded richly by the creator of the universe. Amen? Amen? The only two options, this life or eternity. Those are the only two options. If we choose to focus on this life, guess what? Eventually, it will disappear. Bible says, naked you came into this world, naked you will leave, right? You can't take anything with you. If you invest in this life, you will eventually lose everything you worked for. But in order to choose eternity, in order to choose eternity, you have to be willing to sacrifice the other option. You have to be willing to die. That's what Jesus said. In other words, give your life over to God. Give your life over to Jesus. And guess what? The, the fruits of what Jim Elliot is receiving today and the fruits of what George Clooney if, if he doesn't change his, his understanding if he doesn't come to Christ are two completely different things are they not right. and when we have this eternal perspective I hope that helps us understand that's what Jesus was talking about that's what, why Jesus used all of these oxymorons to help us understand it's the exact opposite of what you would think I want to ask you for, for a moment today what about you I'm just going to ask you three simple questions. Number one, where have you been investing your life? And there, there could be people who have come in today, maybe just because they have a, a friend or a relative that was involved in, in, in the play. Uh, who knows why? There might, I don't know where you're coming from or why you're here, but there may be some today who have come here today and, and you have to say, up to this point, Pastor Dave, I've really invested my life in this life. In this life. And, and, and maybe that's you today. And today is time to, to make a change. Uh, maybe you're working hard just to have nice things. Maybe maybe you're a believer and you're, you've come here but you've realized you started slipping back into that old pattern of thinking, right? Maybe you're a believer and you're thinking, uh, you know, why do I work so hard? Is it, is it because I want things or is it because I want to minister to people? You know, I, I read a statistic recently that, that really bothered me. This is one of those things that you read and it keeps you up at night. That the majority of reasons why people choose the church that they attend and you look at all of the top reasons every single one of them has to do with what they like it was music style children's program all those and guess what we have great we have great things in all of those areas don't we amen but that's the reason why we choose a church no. i didn't see anywhere in the top 10 that people chose a church because they saw that this is where they could serve god the best isn't that sad But that's where we are. We've we've invested in this life instead of using this life to invest in eternity. The second question I want to ask is is this. Has there ever been a point when you have given your life to God? You know, you you can try and do all of these things and you can say, Lord, okay, I'm going to try and invest in eternity. You can do all of these things, but if you've never come to a point where you've understood the, the simple message of the gospel and that is we can't deserve it. That's what the Pharisees thought, right? but the message isn't for those who deserve heaven it's for those of us who understand we don't deserve heaven just like that prodigal son or in this case the prodigal daughter <laughs> when we come to that point and we understand we don't deserve it but Jesus made it available then we come, come, come home to our father in heaven and you know what he throws a party because he's just excited to have us back to have us in his home That's what the gospel is really all about. And so the last question is, are you willing to give your life to him?